Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 19. And the last time we looked at this siege of Jerusalem, hard for us to understand, you know, in our culture, wars are fought with missiles and planes and a lot of overhead stuff. But back in the day, you had an important city. It was walled off, walled off. And um, if your enemy wanted to take the city, you'd close the gates and then they would try to put it, make a siege ram, try to get over the wall, try to get through the wall. So that was what was happening back then. Jerusalem is, is locked down tight. The Assyrians are right outside. Um, this is an actual event, of course. And the Rabshakeh, who's sort of like one of the military officials for the Assyrians, the bad guys, is taunting King Hezekiah, his men, and the people on the wall, trying to demoralize them, use psychological warfare. And that's really where we ended up, with, with these threats that were being sent to the messengers to go into the city to try to get the king and everybody to give up. And today we're going to see more threats and more issues, but this is really kind of a climax because God does deliver his people. So this is, again, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is the main city. We'll look at this in seven parts. So jumping in, it says, And so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, he heard these horrible things, the threats, the taunts, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. Uh, it may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will re reprove the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So first part is King Hezekiah responds to the Assyrian threats. And what he does really should be a model for all believers, but We've seen some interesting things here. You know, Shebna, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of parallels with Sunday sermons because we're in the book of Isaiah. And on Sunday, we're in Isaiah. And then on Wednesday, we're in Kings. And you see this nexus with Isaiah. So Isaiah's focusing on his prophecies. We'll cover that on Sunday. But on Wednesday, Isaiah is called upon by the king. Hey, we're in trouble. We're under siege. Help us out. So I love the fact that we're going parallel with Sunday and Wednesday right now with this. It's pretty cool. So a few things we look at is, A, the king tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, and that's a picture of grief. Um, we have different cultural things today. I don't know any Christians who tear their clothes and put on sackcloth, but who knows. Uh, but the first thing we find is it's the emotional response. You know, when we're hit with tragedy, the bigger the tragedy the more emotional we can become, right? I mean, we're human. And this was a great man of God, and he had tragedy, and he was emotional about the, the whole thing. But B, he goes to the temple to pray. And hopefully we, as people of God, after we're 
we, somebody calms us down and we get a hold of ourselves, we go right to prayer. You know what I'm saying? You get that sympathetic nervous response, the, maybe the panic, the fight or flight, and then you say, okay, I know who I am in the Lord, and you, you start praying. I wonder, how did I do it before I was a Christian? <laughs> I don't know, it was so long ago. But it's, it's, it's interesting looking at this, right? Now it's different. I'm a different person. See, it says, he, well, we see that he sends his men to the prophet Isaiah. Now, back in the day before Christ, that was the procedure. You could pray all you want and God would hear you. But if God had a specific message for you, for the most part, he would deliver it through his prophets. You know, it's almost like the three branches of government. There were three branches of kind of government back then. You had the priest, the prophet, and the king, and they had separate offices. So he sends his, he prays to God, but he also sends his men to the prophet. You know, what's the word from the Lord? What's the Lord saying in this? Boy, we're in trouble. And there's safety in numbers. There's accountability. There's a lot of things we could look at this. Um, sadly, there's a trend that I see, and uh, uh, somebody had posted uh, uh, an article about, like, something about when tragedy strikes, that's the time to be with other believers, not to isolate. But there is a trend today where people isolate themselves. Hey, where you been? You know, they don't answer the phone. They don't, and, oh, I went through this horrible thing. Yeah, but <laughs> let us put you on the prayer list, you know, get with your friends. And, and people do this. They isolate, and it just makes the situation worse. So here, they didn't do that. And I'm not saying this pejoratively. I'm saying it encouragingly, if that's a, a word. Um, but the last thing we see is that the problem was just way too big for the king. He was only one man. And if you understand what was going on at the time, this, the Assyrians were whooping everybody. I mean, they just were like a storm. They would come through nations and cities, and nobody could stand up to them. So if you put yourself in Hezekiah's uh, position, things look really, really bad. This is a really, really big issue. Now, when I get up in the morning or I come to church, you know, and I got the purple shirt like tonight or the gray shirt or the green shirt, I don't go, all right, Lord, which shirt should I? He doesn't care. He gave me a big enough brain I could figure out the color code. And when I fall short, my wife can help me. She does that sometimes. She puts, puts up the flag and says, no, they don't match. Change one of the top or the bottom. But So for the most part, we can make simple decisions. But for the big decisions, and even life's goals, we should be seeking the Lord. Okay, Verse 3, there was a colloquialism back then, and basically it said things are so bad that, and we have our sayings that probably they wouldn't understand, but things are so bad, Isaiah, God, that the mother is ready to give birth, but she just is too exhausted to push the baby out. And that's basically what that meant. It's tragic. We're in dire straits. You know, help. SOS. Okay, verse 5, we continue. Says, so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, the prophet, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So too, Isaiah's comforting words. I love the, the prophets, man. They just were so cool. You know, they just, they couldn't, I don't think they had the luxury to panic. They had to, God was saying, listen, Isaiah, go tell the king what I said word for word. Okay, you know, be obedient. Imagine that, you know, just back then, just having the living God talk to you and, and share that with the most important people in the community or the leaders. 
So Isaiah, he says, listen, God's got your back, Hezekiah. Um, Don't be concerned. What Hezekiah doesn't know is that God is going to slay 185,000 of the Assyrian army in one night. But, you know, uh, he just has to trust the Lord. Um, I mean, we can fret about a lot of things today. And we do. But the bottom line is God has it under control, you know. Um, you know, who knows what type of deliverance he has for us in those type of times. But like Jesus said, worrying is not going to make it any better. You've got to trust the Lord. We've got to go to the Lord multiple times, you know. Um, but we, we need to, it's got to be a daily walk. And verse 7 says that he shall hear a rumor. rumor. <laughs> and uh, so the rumor is that Tirhaka of Ethiopia or the Ethiopian alliance is you know, there's, there's some speculation of what the rumor is, but it has to do with they're attacking, uh, Syrians attacking Jerusalem. A lot of the Jerusalem people were pro-Egypt and pro uh, the North African Union. Um, but God said, listen, I'm going to take care of this. But some of them still were reaching out to Ethi- the Ethiopians and such, that kind of Egyptian-Ethiopian alliance. So, you know, I think God just kind of throws this confusing spirit towards... Uh, towards the king Sennacherib of the Assyrians, and it, it, it's inferred that the, his concern is that Ethiopia is going to come up from the south and save Jerusalem, and now the Assyrians are going to have to fight a two-front war. So what happens is, you know, they, he just he kind of takes off. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to stay there. And, and you see these guys now start to leave. So verse 8 continues... So the Rabshakeh, which was this military leader of the Assyrians, returned and found the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, warring against Libna, for he heard that he departed from Lachish. So he's triangulating these three towns, Jerusalem, Lachish, and Libna, because he hears this rumor and he's starting to panic. He doesn't want to deplete his forces or fight too many fronts. And the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to, messengers to Hezekiah saying, he's still holding on to, he really wants to get in, Assyrians want to get into Jerusalem. So even though he's uh, you know, redeploying, he sends this message to Hezekiah, not, not taking any pressure off of him. Verse 10, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvam, Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Most likely it was a a scroll that was written on. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and our lands. You know, when Satan wants to attack us, he does mix truth in with lies. He puts enough truth in so we start to believe his demoralizing, his, his psychological warfare. 
And he's very good at it. So Hezekiah is even saying to, to God, yeah, he's right about that. Nobody's going to be able to stand up to them. You know, we need help, Lord. And have cast their gods into the fire, or their little gods, their little idols, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. So I love this, too, about the scripture is, you know, sometimes we get the impression that men and women of God in the Bible were just so fearless and nothing rattled them. Hezekiah was rattled. (laughs) He definitely was rattled. You can hear it in his words. You can see it in the actions, the tearing of the clothes. He's really rattled about this situation. But three out of seven is more threats from the Assyrians and Hezekiah's response. Um, You know, Isaiah tells Hezekiah everything's going to be okay. But the Assyrians now are ramping up the threats and the pressure. Hey, God's got it, you know. You ever pray about something and things get worse before they get better? (laughs) Just me? Come on. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and you you know, you're receiving, you're, you know, you know the Lord's there, but man, you look out and everything's just getting worse. And that's what was going on here, you know. God is going to give him the deliverance, but things are just horrible, you know. I mean, you know, you've probably experienced uh, people that try to, they say they're going to destroy your reputation, they're going to crush you, they're going to ruin your business, they're going to hurt you physically, and this is the world we live in, you know? This is the wicked world we live in. But the point still remained, the truth was that none of the gods saved any other of the nations, but Hezekiah says, but you're the only true God. They were just fake. They were just man-made. Um, you know, again, he's, he's trusting God, but the empirical evidence, if you just look at without God, says that Jerusalem's going to fall next. And probably if the Lord didn't take out all those uh, men in the army, they, it would have fallen. But God had, had had enough with the Assyrians. Their time had come up. But, um, you know... Hezekiah, I believe, was, was rattled, and, and it's okay. You know, we get rattled too. We're human. We're flesh. But he basically says, God, you're the only God. I trust you. The battle is yours. Um, I can't do it. Did Hezekiah ever physically see God in his form? No, he didn't. Some men got visions. Some had dreams. But Hezekiah was acting on faith. And he even said, the God that dwells between the cherubim. So in the Holy of Holies in the temple, there was that mercy seat and the two you know, fashioned cherubim, the angels, and God's presence. He said, I will always be there. So he trusted and believed that God is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's in Hebrews. <laughs> so continuing on, verse 20. Verse 20. It says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So it's kind of cool. Hezekiah spreads out the scroll that came from the Assyrians. You see this, God? You see what they're saying about you? <laughs> you know. Um, and then, of course, God sees and hears everything, and he sends Isaiah to him a second time to the king. So he goes to the king and says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, That which you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. 
This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Now, I believe that, well, let's go back for a second. The facts are, when you read the scripture, we covered this multiple times, that it wasn't just the Israelites that read God's word. It was also other nations. As a matter of fact, God would often speak to the other nations and he would want the Israelites to disseminate that information to the because he wanted them to repent too because God loves everybody, right? So what was happening is God is kind of saying, this is my response. You can read it, Hezekiah, but I also want a copy sent back to the Assyrians. And he did. He would warn them. So this is the, the, the insults are not towards the Israelites. They're towards the Assyrians. So, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted your eyes on high, against the Holy One of Israel, by your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon, I will cut down all of its cedars and its choice cypress trees, I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water. And with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of the defense. So basically, this is amazing. Could you imagine like you're the Assyrians reading this? These prideful leaders in their bedchambers would think these things. I'm so great. You know, I've chopped down the cedars of Lebanon. I've drank from strange wells. I've conquered peoples. Basically, God is putting it back in their face. You've said all these things. Now watch this. He goes, did you not hear long ago how I made it? from ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place. I know you're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle on your lips, and I will turn you back by the way you came. I'm going to send you packing. You're going to go home with your tail between your legs. I, I just like justice, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, you look at a lot of these empires that were full of, even in our lifetime, um, just conquer, conquer, and then just God humbles them. You know, a few bad decisions and they're done. But this is four out of seven is, uh, again, God's response to Hezekiah, which is also the response to the Assyrians. Um, And you you almost see a little bit of, I say, Job-esque in here. Do you realize that I allowed you to rise to power? Do you realize I created those wells that you drank from? Again, imagine reading that. I mean, if you're just a fool if you don't, say, oh, I can't, wow, it's God speaking to me. But Job was a good man, and he loved the Lord. He was just so frustrated with the situation that he started questioning God, and God put Job in his place. But he loved Job. Job, you know, was a good man. However, with the Assyrians, there's more of a punch because they're thumbing their nose at God. They're rebelling against God and mocking God. So he, he kind of pictures, if you look at this, Jerusalem as a young virgin with the confidence to rebuff uh, some creep who's trying to advance on her. So you you kind of got to read the poetic language in here. As a matter of fact, the Assyrians, when they would conquer, they would take young girls and they would uh, give them to their soldiers to be wives. They would just take them from their homeland. 
God was saying, you're not going to get in and the, the girls are not going to be harmed. And Jerusalem, I picture her as a young girl. You know, she's got me to protect her, so to speak. Um, he basically says to them, I, I, I watched you rise to power and conquer. I allowed it to a certain extent. Um, you didn't give me glory. You've mocked me. So now I'm going to put hooks in your nose and lead you back home and where Sennacherib ends up dying. Now, the irony of the hooks is the Assyrians just became meaner and meaner. They were so cruel. And sometimes when they would go to a city, they would basically say, listen, if you just give up, we'll, we'll be somewhat nice to you. If you make us come and get you, we are going to torment you. So a lot of people were so scared of them. They were such bullies. Their reputation went. There was no Geneva con- Convention. They just gave up and let them in. But what they would do is, uh, especially the leaders, they would you know, bind them and they would take hooks and put it through their nose and their lips and they, with cords, they would drag, they would make sure they would march. Um, and that's such a sensitive area. So the, whoever, you know, if your foot was falling off, you would do it because of the pain of your face with all the facial nerves. A lot of, a lot of nerves in the face, by the way. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. Um, the other thing is that if we could put up the first image, I'm going to kind of do a little, a little tracing here because it's not that easy to see that depending on where you are, in the service, but this is the what's called the steel of Esarhaddon. Now, Esarhaddon came after Sennacherib. Okay, Sennacherib dies. Esarhaddon rises to power, and in 671 BC, he conquers. He finally conquers Tirhaka of Egypt and Baolu of Tyre. And what you can see in in these again, this is what they did back then. Today, we we save stuff on you know flash drives and such. Back then. It took a little longer. They would make pictures. They would do writing. But you can see, so this is the king. This is Esarhaddon. He's looking that way. This is his beard, right? This is his robe. And he pictures the two guys that he conquered as little people, obviously to show his dominance over them. You see him holding uh, like a leash that comes all the way down, and their faces are up. And what's happened is he actually has a, uh, it's a carving of the hooks in their faces and he's leading them around. You see what I'm saying? So it was really not really wonderful people. They were pretty nasty, but um, this is what you have anyway. So I just wanted to just stop for a moment. We don't have that much more left to read, but people that mock God, you know, um, and, they, and what happens until the Lord comes back and stops human history, people die. Um, I just read about something that I, I wasn't pleased with. Um, you know, you never want to see somebody who doesn't know the Lord die in their sins, but one of the most renowned physicists uh, over the whole world, Stephen Hawking, uh, he was a disabled man, a horrible disability, confined to a chair. He mocked God. And I think what saddens me, and I, I, don't, I don't think that Christians should have the attitude Well, God took him out. Good for him. He was an atheist. I think that we should grieve for the lost, that we should have compassion for the lost. I think why it bothered me, my wife and I were talking about it this morning, and I said this to her. I said, I think what bothered me is this poor man was confined to a wheelchair. He had such a disability. But he was so prideful and so arrogant about the the possibility of God. He probably lived a a really difficult life in the physical world, and he's probably going to, if he didn't repent, he's probably going to live a very worse life in the afterlife. So to me, that's a tragedy. You know, and as Christians, listen, that person may be irritating you. They may be mocking your faith. They may be 
you know, we, we do have to have a sense of compassion. Um, and I talked about this in, in the book of Isaiah with the prophets. They had to be compassionate. One, one of my, uh, just on a side note, he, he died several years ago. One of my favorite atheists, and I, it's kind of funny, was Christopher Hitchens. He was so sarcastic. <laughs> he was so arrogant. But towards the end of his life, he started uh, reaffirming Christianity, but he wouldn't really admit to it. And I read some of his works. He started befriending all these pastors, and when he died, there was a lot of pastors that spoke at his funeral. So I don't know if it was pride that he didn't want to, you know, I believe, though, I have a sense from the Lord that he did accept the Lord before he died. But he was funny. He just was such a sarcastic person, um, and he just made me laugh. You know, I, I could not like the guy, you know. But so Hezekiah prays, and, you know, God, God hooks him up, so to speak, you know. Um, so we'll continue on, verse 29 to 31. It says, so here's, okay, you know, God's speaking. He, he's talking to Hezekiah. It's going to be okay. Well, make sure you get this over to the Assyrians. Who, who wanted to deliver that scroll? They probably delivered it and took off on horseback. But um, then he goes back to Isaiah, or excuse me, Hezekiah the king, and he says, this shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Five out of seven is the sign to Isaiah, or the sign from uh, to Hezekiah, excuse me, that the siege will end and surprisingly things are going to grow again. Now this, think about this. You've got to think of the culture back then. Um, you know, you had certain seasons where you would plant, right? That you would, you would sow and then the water would come and then you would reap later on. When there was war, what would happen was the, the enemy army, if they were cruel, they would steal your crops, burn them, salt your fields, trample down what you just planted. They would restrict sowing because they were in charge and they could, they could tell you if you come out and you try to do the farm, we'll kill you. So people were scared. Like, we're going to starve to death. This was like what was called a, a scorched, scorched, scorched earth policy. But God did a miracle. He said, listen, I, I know what they all did to the countryside. I, I know what they did coming and going, but it's going to be a miracle. You're going to see the food's going to grow. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. It really was miraculous. Um, think about that in contrast, and there's no other way to say this, but I did read the scripture. Last uh, chapter, when the Reb Shekel was taunting the Israelites, those in Judah, taunting the king, he basically said to the people on the wall that were listening to all this, you better give up. Uh, again, it's, what he said was graphic. He says, because not long from now, you're going to be eating your own feces and urine because we're going to strangle you. We're going to choke you out. We're going to stop anything from coming in out of the city and we'll wait. And we're eating your food, by the way, while we're out here on the outside of the city. So um, big difference. What he said did not come true, but it terrified the people. You know, they did trust God. They didn't defect. And look what happened. So verse 32, continuing on, you know what's really sad? There was a contrast going on. For over maybe another hundred plus years, the southern kingdom had relative peace. There were some good kings. You know, Josiah comes to power later on. Um, so there were some good, good people back then in, in the southern kingdom. But their neighbors to the north were already conquered. And God did not reverse that. 
their idolatry and their evil was just wicked. So it was interesting. God's people in the south, they were doing pretty good. In the north, they were a conquered people. So it's just kind of weird, right? If you're at the southern border and you're kind of looking at sort of like South Korea and North Korea, right? So we continue on. Uh, verse 32. Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mound against it. These are normal things that would have happened once they gave the command to attack. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So six out of seven is what will become of the siege. Uh, absolutely nothing. You know, nothing. And he speaks about the remnant. Uh, God speaks about the remnant. Listen, this was a difficult time. There was suffering. There was death. But at this point forward, no more. God was going to fix the situation. 35, last few verses. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away. Yeah, got no more army left. Returned home and remained at Nineveh. So he goes back to the capital. He's, he loses in a tremendous amount of his troops. He, his, his campaign of terror can't continue for, for a time. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adremelech and Sherazar, struck him down with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Seven out of seven. Um, what will become of the Assyrian army? And, and Isaiah didn't know, or excuse me, Again, I'm confusing Isaiah with Hezekiah, but I keep going back to the right one. Hezekiah did not know the details. And sometimes when we pray, God does give us a piece, but He doesn't always give us details. Me personally, I would love it if He gave me details. I like details. You know, tell me to do this, this, X, Y, and Z, and what happens after that, blah, 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 blah. You know, He told Abraham, get up, get out of your people, get out of your land, and go to a land where I'm going to show you. And Isaiah got... Or, Abraham got bits and pieces as he was uh, moving towards Canaan. He started, the picture started changing and started to become clearer. And that happens a lot with us too as Christians. You know, God will, you, you just get a sense. You know, there's a decision and, and you just get a sense that that's not the decision to make and you don't know why. But maybe a year later you look back and you go, okay, now it makes sense now. You know, but hey, at least we have the Lord in our lives. You know, there's, there's reasons he has he wants us to live by faith and not by sight. And if he gave us every little detail and he, you know, he sent down a manual or a flash drive to us, you know, where would faith be? So I get it. I'm good with it. Um, I'm not always thrilled with it, but, uh, but he's God and I'm not. So <laughs> I just do what he asked me to do. Uh, we continue. Well, I have another uh, slide to show as we close. This is called the Taylor Prism, and this is located in the British Museum. And this is not necessarily pictures anymore, but it's words. So the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all these people groups, until they had you know, some, some solid paper and then you know, the printing press, this is what they did. They carved out, and these are all, this is their language. And you can see it's all the way around. Some of these things are really big. They're like eight feet tall. 
usually made of, of clay. Uh, as the clay is soft, they're writing it, or sometimes it's stone. So there's a lot of different things. That's called the Taylor prism. prism. Um, and basically, you can read the words of Sennacherib as he writes down his chronicles of his battles. And one of the things he says I covered, but I'm going to go a little bit more into detail, and I'm going to just take pieces of it. He says on that, when it's been translated, I attacked King Hezekiah of Judah. I carried away captives. Well, when he was in the south, he did take some captives. Hezekiah himself, I locked up in Jerusalem. Now, again, this isn't the Bible. This is secular. This is archaeology that all confirms the Scripture. Hezekiah himself, I locked up in Jerusalem like a bird in its cage. And then it ends. He doesn't say what he did with the bird. I poked the bird with a stick. You know, I, I put a canary in a coal mine. You know, he, he doesn't say. So <laughs> this is very important because the Assyrians would speak of their great pompous and prideful conquests, all their victories. The Assyrians never spoke of their defeats. They were so prideful that they would never record their defeats. So where he leaves it, again, it's in the British Museum. If you want, if you want to go there and read it, you can. Uh, but basically, he says, I, I, I locked him up like a, a, like a bird in a cage. And that's where he ends it. He doesn't talk about why he went back to Assyria, why he didn't get over the wall, why he didn't kill everybody and take the gold from the temple. doesn't say it because it didn't happen. Isn't that neat? It's pretty neat. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really digging the archaeology and the historical part. But hey, the, the, listen, the message is titled, Trusting in the Lord in the Time of Tragedy. And we've all been there. Maybe someone right now sitting here is going through tragedy and maybe this is speaking or ministering to you. Maybe there's some impending thing that you have to deal with. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now. Maybe you're coming off of something and you're, you're, you're pained and you're wondering why. Because, listen, this is a sinful, it's, it's a sinful creation. One day we're going to be perfected. One day we'll be with the Lord and there won't be any of this stuff anymore. But right now... We do have to petition the Lord. We do have to pray. We do have to seek His face. We do have to ask Him about certain decisions that we're making as a, an individual or a family. But, you know, Hezekiah saw trouble. You know, the Assyrians gobbled up every nation, and then it was his turn. And it looked really bad. But God. But God. Um, Pastor Paul wrote, when I was talking about the, tonight's message, he wrote, But God... It's the, it's the bridge between hope and despair. You know, despair, Hezekiah, bad, bad. But God, and God brought the hope, and that was beautiful. I, I always give credit to people I steal stuff from, so I just wanted to do that. But the situation seemed impossible. It seemed bleak. It seemed terrifying. But we are children of God, and God is real. And when we go through those times, that's the time that it really tests our faith. What do we believe? Do we really believe in this God that we've never seen and never touched? But we know He's there. And next time that we're in a situation, hopefully we can take some of these pointers, go through the steps that Hezekiah went through, and, um, and maybe one day after it's over, the Lord will give us closure and He'll give us an understanding of what happened and why. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. 
and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's turn around.